As you watch this teaching, please subscribe, like, and comment so more people can see it. Welcome to Home Group. My name is Rick Runner, and I'm here with my team tonight. And the team is Maxime, Joel, and Denise. Guys, welcome to Home Group. Thank you, Rick. Home Group, are you loving these home groups? I am so encouraged. Why are you encouraged? Well, because we're reading the Word of God. A lot. And, and the Word of God encourages you. How are you, Mr. Renner? I'm doing very good, Mr. Renner. Very glad to be here. And I have to tell you, these study guides are awesome. Just wonderful. And if you want to get this series for free, just go to renner.org and you can download your copy right now. But also, I want to ask you, please like this video. We want to know if you enjoy it. So please like it. Mr. Maxime, we're glad you're here. I'm thankful to be here. I'm honored to be here. And these home groups are truly filled with the Word of God. Absolutely. They're filled with the Word of God. Well, next week, we're going to do a brand new series, and it's called 10 Powerful Women. And Denise <laughs> is on the programs with me. And next week, we're going to talk about Eve. Yes. She was a powerful woman. She affected the human race. Yes. But the problem about Eve, it was not entirely about Eve. She had a husband who didn't inform her of details. We're going to give you a new insight on Eve. Then we're going to talk next week about a woman whose name we do not know, no. but she might be the most influential woman who has ever lived. Yeah. I know who it is. Don't say. But the point is, there's a lot of women we may not know, but they have made history. Now can we say who it is? Nope, not yet. Oh. Then we're going to talk about Sarah, who ended, out, ended up as quite a wretched woman, but she ended up a princess. Then we're going to talk about Bathsheba, the adulteress, who became a godly woman. And then we're going to talk about Esther. Esther. It's going to be so good. Don't miss next week. And if you're listening and you're a man, don't say, ah, doesn't have anything to do with me. has everything to do with you. There's principles in all of this that apply to men and women. It will really encourage you. But this week in the regular TV program, I'm starting every program in the middle of that. What's it called? Some kind of a field where sheep are pinned in, and it was a mess. I mean, it was a mess. It was all these sheep, I don't know how many, way over 100. And it was just like, wow. We took my little chair and set it out in the middle of all that manure, and I sat in it. Yeah. <laughs> and all those sheep, they ran from me because You're I was a stranger. And you know what? On the way home after we filmed, all we talked about was the smell in the car. Well, yeah, because you know what? our we, shoes. We carried the smell with us all the way home. But anyway, if you're not seeing the regular program, you need to go see it or you need to order the whole series. It's called Psalm 23rd. The Lord is my shepherd. It's 10 parts. It is just wonderful. And I just have to tell you, it surprised me because it turned out so much more wonderful than I expected. It just fed my heart. And the study guide that Joel referred to it's free. It's Please go get it. Just go to renner.org, download it. It is free. And our website is loaded with free study guides. It's like a whole banquet just set on the table. All you have to do is pull up the chair, sit down, dive in, and eat. So please go get yours right now. And we're also offering you Tony Cook's little book. Now look at the size of it. It's very small. You can put it in your purse and put it in your 
jacket pocket, take it anywhere you want and read it in one setting. I did. And I have to tell you, Denise, this little book by Tony really helped me prepare for this series. He really covers wonderful points. It's called Because the Lord is My Shepherd, The Blessings of an Empowered Life. And Joe, what are you wanting to say? I have our autobiography. It is a big one, but it's only part one because we still have a lot to do in this life. Amen. And it is just full of stories and wonderful, wonderful tales about the mercy of God and how He showed up so many times in our lives. You can get it at renter.org. My friends, anybody can be used by God, anybody who's willing to be used. You know, we tell in that book a lot of the things we've been through, like the time that we were on the airplane with a bomb, the time that we traveled on the airplane with black beret soldiers who were being set to do their business, the time that our train was accosted by special troops that burst out all the windows and came climbing through all the windows. And I mean, story after story after story after story. And here we are. We're still here. And I want to tell you, if you follow God, it's going to be exciting. You're going to have an exciting life. So just keep on being with God and He'll, He'll make sure you get through the excitement. And you know what else you'll get out of that book? You know, sometimes people see us and they think, oh, Rick and Denise, they probably have never faced anything. When you read that book, you will be amazed that Denise and I smile. We have been through so much. And you know what? We've had victory in every bit of it. We have literally seen the Lord set a table for us in the presence of our enemies. And Rick, we did not camp in the shadow of the in the valley the of the valley shadow of, the shadow shadow of, of death. death. We, we just, walk through. And you know, if you'll just say yes to the Lord, I like how Denise says, in life you have to say yes many times. If you'll just keep saying yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, you'll end up with an unlikely story. It's just wonderful. Amen. Amen. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for our home group. And by the way, home group, let us know how to pray for you. Just call us or send us your email and be with us tonight as we dive back into the 23rd Psalm in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right, let's go back to Psalm 23 and review. In Psalm 23, verse 1, we talked about supernatural provision. Psalm 23, 2, supernatural protection. Aren't you grateful for his protection? Psalm 23, 2, supernatural peace, still waters. He leads us beside still waters. Even when things seem very troubled around us, he'll lead us to still waters. Psalm 23, verse 3, supernatural restoration. He restores my soul. We know so many people whose souls had been traumatized and shattered by life. Jesus is the restorer of the soul. Psalm 23, 3, this really is our testimony, supernatural guidance. He will supernaturally guide you if you'll hear his voice and take his hand. Psalm 23, 4, supernatural confidence. He'll be with you in any situation. Psalm 23, 4, supernatural correction. His rod and his staff, they comfort us. Wow, that gives us such peace to know he'll correct us and take care of us. He's watching after us. It's just awesome. We saw last night supernatural prosperity, not financial prosperity. We're going to cover some of that tonight. We saw the prosperity of him setting a table for us in the presence of our enemies in Psalm 23, 5. And tonight in Psalm 23, 5, we're going to see supernatural anointing and blessing. And tomorrow night, we're going to end in verse 26, supernatural promises. It's going to be marvelous. But Immediately after David said in Psalm 23, 5, 
that preparest the table before me in the presence of my enemies. In the same verse, he added, Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Wow. I'm going to read you from my notes, which is from the study guide. If anyone was familiar with the process of being anointed, it mm -hmm. was David. David was anointed on three separate occasions. Mm -hmm. Please listen to me. This is so very important. There are multiple anointings in life. And David was anointed on three separate occasions. Number one, the first time David was anointed was recorded in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 13, when he was privately anointed. And usually when God begins to move in your life, it's not public. Usually when you begin to experience the anointing, it's something between you and the Lord. And here we find Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him where? In the midst of his enemies. Brethren. Oh, I'm so sorry. Brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. The first anointing was done in a small environment with only a few of David's closest family members present. But from that day forward, something changed in David. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him and those closest to him recognized it. I really understand this because when I first felt the anointing of God come on me, it was in a small environment. It was in our university church where we met each other. It's just such a small place. But that's when the brethren begin to say, wow, there's something on Rick. The anointing first came upon me. But then as you walk in what you've received, it grows. God will lead you into a secondary anointing or a third anointing or even more. And the second anointing that came upon David was about 10 or 15 years later when he was living in the city of Hebron. And the Bible tells us in 2 Samuel 2.4, the men of Judah came. And there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. He moved into a second level of the anointing. Then, shortly thereafter, in 2 Samuel 5.3, he was anointed a third time. This time in the presence of all the tribes of Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king, to Hebron, and King David made a league with them in Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over all Israel. These were three separate anointings. And with every anointing that David received, there came a greater level of authority, and his sphere of influence was expanded. And now I want to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21, a verse... Home group, I'm telling you, this verse has really been important in my life because when I was a young man, I really wanted to get the cart before the horse. I think we all have that tendency to get in a hurry. We're worried about time. But did you know God is not worried about time? God has all the time in eternity. God is not worried about time. Timing belongs to the Lord. Preparation belongs to us. Did you hear me? Timing belongs to the Lord, but preparation belongs to us. And when you come to 2 Corinthians 1.21, Paul writes such a powerful principle. Now he which established us with you in Christ and hath anointed us is God. Most people want to run right to the anointing. But the first part of this verse says he that established us with you in Christ and anointed us 
is God. And you may be eager to get started with the vision or dream God has placed in your heart and wish things would move faster. But you need to know, and I'm reading from the study guide, which you can download for free at runner.org, that God is not focused on the clock like we usually are. Instead, he's more concerned about cultivating qualities such as character, integrity, faithfulness, and purity of heart. He must first establish a rock-solid foundation in you that will enable you to sustain the work he wants to do in you and through your life. And actually, in the Old Testament, God demonstrated that anointing is not everything when he first called Saul to be king. Saul was head and shoulders above everybody else. Some people might say, well, if Saul was so fatally flawed, why did God choose him? Well, it was the first king of Israel. And in Israel's first king, God was demonstrating what is and is not important. It was a very important lesson. It established forever what is and is not important to God. Saul was head and shoulders taller than everybody else and was very good looking. Even all the women of Israel sang songs about him but he had a heart that was not right. And the anointing came on him. It went to his head. You know, when you receive power, it exposes who you are. If you've got a flaw, power will make it show up. And he was arrogant. He was rebellious. He was outwardly impressive. And when Samuel came looking for the next king, which was David, he came to the household of Jesse. By the way, this is in the series called Ten Powerful Men. And Samuel said, bring all your boys because the Lord's going to choose a king in your house. Well, David was so young and so immature, they didn't call him. He was out in the field. Mm -hmm. And the Bible says that Samuel was walking through the room looking at all the boys and he came to one of Jesse's boys named Eliab. And apparently Eliab was tall and really good looking because the Bible says when Saul stopped in front of him, he basically said, whoa, this is the guy that ought to be a king. Look at this man's countenance. He is so tall. Look at his hair. Look at his shoulders. Look at this amazing looking guy. Well, that's what happened when he anointed Saul. When he saw Saul, Saul was head and shoulders taller than everybody else. His outwardly looked like he was everything right. And just as Samuel was about a prophet about to make a mistake, which means prophets can make mistakes. He was about to lift his horn of oil to anoint Eliab and repeat the same mistake he made again. And God stopped him and says, stop, stop, stop. Man looks after the outward appearance. This is not what's important. God looks at the heart, the heart. And the one who had a right heart was the one they didn't even call to the meeting. He was out in the field being established in practical things, proving himself. And that's where God's eyes were. They were on David. You know, Rick, I've always thought, because if a prophet came to your house, I mean, Samuel, that, that's like having the president come to your house. That's a huge... In, in huge, Israel, there was no bigger person that could come to your house. Huge event. And for Jesse not to invite David... I just think it shows that he didn't think David was very important. And 
you know, David might have even been living in some rejection there. He might have of the in the eyes of Jesse, but it didn't matter if if Jesse rejected David, God accepted David. Well, the word established in Second Corinthians one twenty one is the Greek word bibio. Bibio. The word bibio means something firm, reliable, durable, dependable. That's what David was becoming out in the field. He's becoming firm, reliable, dependable, durable. Think about it, guys. David was a kid. And his father entrusted him with sheep. Sheep were big bucks back in those days. Mm -hmm. That was big money. Mm -hmm. What kind of a young boy was he? That God would give all of his sheep to this young boy who would take them days and days and days away at a time, the same boy who defended them from a bear and a lion when nobody was looking, but God was looking. David was being established, and God knew this was a man that could be trusted with the anointing. And there's something else, the word anointing. The word anointing, what does it mean to be anointed? But hey, I want to say one more word about the word established. Listen to this. Interestingly, the word established, are you listening, home group? All of this is in the study guide. Is a legal term that was used to depict the lengthy and intensive investigative process involved to validate if a document was trustworthy and could be relied upon. In the ancient world, documents were written by hand. If those writing or copying the documents were not careful, mistakes could be made with serious legal consequences. For this reason, it was not wise to give one's final improvement to a document until it was tested and proven trustworthy. So before a deal was finalized, the document was scrutinized to validate its reliability. If the document had errors in it, the errors had to be corrected before the papers were signed and the deal was approved. Once the document was established as valid, then it could be accepted and authorized and the plan could go forward. And in the same way, God doesn't just dole out anointings. God looks to see if there's any errors that need to be fixed in a person's character first. The anointing's precious to God. Now let's go to the word anointing. You know what I like about this? God was watching David before he ever knew he was going to be chosen. And God could be watching you. I bet he is. The Bible says that he searches the earth who can, he can trust. And David was being watched before David even knew he was going to be anointed. That's true. Very interesting. But let's talk about the word anointing. It comes from the Greek word krio. The word krio means to rub, to bathe, or to massage. It's the root word for the word Christos, which is the word for the Messiah, which means the anointed one. Mm -hmm. But in most cases... Okay, are you guys listening? Mm -hmm. Homework, are you all listening? The word krio, which is translated anointing, that's the root, depicts the anointing of oil. And specifically, oil was used for the anointing of kings or for those who were ordained into powerful positions. So we know that when the anointing comes, it's establishing you for something powerful. In the Old and New Testament, it primarily was used to depict a person who's anointed of the Holy Spirit to set them apart for special service or for an important purpose. But here's the important thing. When a person was anointed with oil in ancient times, you have to understand this or you miss the whole meaning of the word anointing. 
a prophet, a priest, a doctor, or a therapist would pour oil onto his own hands. This is the way it was done. You didn't just pour oil on a person. You poured oil onto your own hands. Then with oil on your hands, you turned your hands and laid your hands on the recipient. If you were a therapist or a masseuse, you massaged it. But it was always applied with hands. Which means when we talk about the anointing, we're talking about what I call a hands-on experience. So when you come, for example, to Luke chapter 4, verse 18, and Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed, anointed me. He was literally saying, If you want to know why I'm anointed, it's because the hand of the Lord is on me. If you say a person is anointed, you're saying God's hand is on that person. Sometimes Denise will sing and people say, oh, it was so anointed. Ask them what do they mean by that. They don't have a clue. They just mean they, they got tingles. They felt, they felt something wonderful. But if you're saying a song was anointed, it means the hand of God was on that song. If you're saying, well, the service was really anointed, the hand of God was on that service. If a person is anointed, you're saying the hand of God is on that person. And what you're experiencing is a result of God's hand being on that person. But the anointing is supernatural. And the anointing is supernatural, but it comes from God's hand being on us. Mm. Isn't that amazing? It's precious when God's hand comes on us, changes us, empowers us, brings supernatural abilities. I just think that's just as amazing. But for a person to be anointed with oil, he had to be submitted to the one putting his hands on him. And you didn't just lay your hands on anybody. That's why we're told in the book of Timothy, lay hands on no man suddenly. Mm -hmm. This is a very serious thing. It's prestige, it's power, it's authority, it's validation. Responsibility. It's responsibility. For example, in the time of the New Testament, when elected officials were installed into office, the senior body of politicians publicly laid hands on each of them as a way of declaring they were officially endorsed and therefore empowered to do their job. When hands were laid on a person, it was also a public proclamation of approval. Similarly, in the Old and New Testament writings, a laying on the hand was used to declare support and endorsement of an individual. But David said, you anoint my head with oil. He was acknowledging God's hand was on his life. Isn't that powerful? But there's something else. He says, my cup runs over. What does that mean? In biblical times, when a person came into your home and you wanted to royally and lavishly welcome him, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you would pour oil on his head until it was overflowing and the cup was running over. David's use of this ancient custom in connection with the anointing of the Lord tells us something extraordinary. He was saying, our shepherd receives us into his family extravagantly. He welcomes us into his flock and pours out the anointing of the Holy Spirit in abundance on us. God's hand mm -hmm. is on each of us. Wow. And I've written this down in the study guide. The pessimist says... My cup is half empty. The optimist says, my cup is half full. But the true follower of Christ <laughs> can claim, 
<laughs> my cup is running over. That's great, Rick. <laughs> That's how much anointing God has for you and for me. Now, David was anointed three times. And in a certain sense, we all have the anointing. We're told that in 1 John 2, verse 20, it says, you all have the anointing of the Holy One. All of us are anointed because yes. we're in Christ. Yes. But you can grow in the anointing. You can come to another level and another level and another level and another level until your cup is just running over with anointing. And if you want to qualify for another level of the anointing and another level and another level, then you have to do what qualifies. And remember, God's not looking at the clock. If you want to take forever to get there, God will let you take forever. God, listen, He made time. He is timeless. He's not looking at a clock. Preparation belongs to us. If you want to drag this thing out forever, God has all the time in the world to wait. Or you can speed things up by saying, hey, I'm going to do what I have to do to prove myself so God will lay His hands on me in a greater way. Amen. Oh, Lord, we want you to lay your hands on yeah. us in a greater way. Amen. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We'll see you tomorrow night. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed that teaching, please subscribe, like, and comment so more people can see it.